Podbean. Hello, everybody. Another episode of Podbean Election Edition 2021. Today we are talking to another Ward 7 candidate, Kelby Compton. And before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about Little Beaver. So, Little Beaver is a craft brewery. You might say to yourself, what's a craft brewer anyway? Sounds fancy, sounds intimidating. What a craft brewery is is simply that it's a smaller place where they brew beer. So they're not going to be mass producing this stuff. And what that means is they can take some risks. They can experiment. They can try some new techniques, try some really innovative flavors. And that's definitely what you're going to find at Little Beaver. There's all kinds of different things that you can try out. But the good news is that the wait staff and the bartenders are very well trained in what they do. They always have 24 beers on tap. So there's a great variety for you. So you can go in and ask them a few questions about things. They can help you find something that's a good fit for you. You can have some samples. You can also have a flight, which is like a bunch of little glasses of beer that you can try out. And so there's no need to be intimidated. You just have have the opportunity to taste something and maybe find something out that you might like. It might be your new favorite. Reservations are not necessary to go into Little Beaver. But uh, you can make a reservation if you want to. It's family-friendly. Bring the kids along and just have a good time sampling some new types of drinks you might never had before. Check them out online at lilbeaverbrewery.com or at 5 Finance Drive in Bloomington. And now, Kelby Comston, Ward 7. All right. We are now recording, so we will start in 3, 2, 1. All right, Kelby. Thanks for joining us on Pod BN. Kelby, you are running in ward number seven. Why don't we start off? Just tell me a little bit about yourself. Give me a little brief background about you. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. I've been a longtime fan of the podcast, listened to quite a bit of them. Uh, happy to finally be on the show. Um, yeah. So my name is Kelby Cumston. I am from Bloomington. I uh, was born here. I I did go to high school in in Leroy, had split parents, spent half the time in rural out in the country, Leroy, and the other half the time on uh, West Market Street uh, by the train tracks there. So there's a huge dichotomy between (laughs) the rural farmland surrounded by corn and then uh, being in the heart of the west side of Bloomington. Uh, So I grew up, uh, went to uh, ISU, studied economics and sociology, um, put myself uh, through college by working uh, six days a week every uh, every semester of uh, college there. And um, after college uh, and during college, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of service work. Uh, my wife and I co-founded the uh, Really, Really Free Market, starting on uh, at Howard and Market. And uh, I've also been a part of a lot of different uh, political organizations, uh, Black Lives Matter. I've uh, been a part of Illinois People's Action um, and yeah, I've also, um, since graduating, uh, found myself into a career that makes me very happy to be a part of, which is, uh, construction management and affordable housing. Uh, I didn't go to school knowing that's what I would do, uh, but I'm, I'm happy with what I do now. Very cool. Very cool. And you, as I mentioned, running in Word 7. So we just like to give the listeners uh, a little visual. Tell me where Word 7 is. What are the boundaries? Sure. Uh, I think a lot of people know where El Pertone is, so uh, try to start there to the uh, east. And then to the west, it goes all the way across the interstate uh, towards the interstate center uh, out by there. Um, And then to the uh, north, the Division Street, that's pretty easy, but it also wraps around uh, White Oak Park and uh, a few of the subdivisions uh, up north there. And then uh, to the south, it's that's where it's really gerrymandered, but uh, uh, it goes kind of down Walnut and then uh, drops down and uh, hits uh, Washington Street. Uh, so that's that's Ward 7 in a nutshell. Very good. It's kind of the northwest quadrant area. Uh, yes, that's yeah. the one-liner, northwest quadrant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did, uh, I've done one police ride-along uh, for the city of Bloomington, and that was that was where we were. So uh, that was where they, they, they threw me in there. But um, So tell me, this is a good place to start, I think. Why are you running? Why, why get involved? Um, why put yourself through the, the headache of a campaign and give yourself a second job for the next four years? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, Nothing short of that. Uh, But yeah, so uh, like I said, I've been a part of uh, political organizations for a while, um, activist groups, and and I've mostly just been behind the scenes. Uh, I'm not a loud person. I do not have a social media presence. In fact, the amount of posts that I've done in the past three months 
is far more than I've done uh, on my personal page since I had Facebook in college. Uh, so, so it's not really me, uh, not on a bullhorn, um, but I've always just been in the back, kind of uh, doing the research. Um, and what really got me first into politics locally was uh, getting involved at the city council level. Um, I started going to a few meetings and then got hooked. And, uh, you know, there is a little bit of drama. It has always been, not even just recently, but there has always been drama within the city of Bloomington. And, and I think that's due to the fact that it is a, uh, there are so many boards and commissions and so much uh, transparency within our own uh, local government um, that other cities don't have. Um, even you could look to the north of us and, and see how fast town of normal uh, council meetings are compared to city of Bloomington. Uh, I personally think that's a feature rather than a flaw. Um, and so I love watching these and been studying them for the past seven or eight years, been going to every single one, uh, especially since they're on YouTube. I can pause and eat dinner and <laughs> resume. Uh, I've been taking notes on them. And so uh, I've been really digging into the research side of things. Um, uh, I had a good relationship with Scott Black, and then when he decided to step out, I decided, okay, this is the time to step in. Um, and so here we are. <laughs> Just to follow up on that, have you been uh, involved on any of the board's commissions or, or politically or anything like that uh, previous to this? Or is this kind of your first foray other than, than uh, watching the YouTube, which, by the way, brave, watching at dinner. That's, that's, <laughs> that's brave. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I paused. So, uh, yeah, but. Go. Yeah, the uh, the board uh, that I currently sit on is the uh, Property Maintenance Review Board, which is uh, the most luxury board of the all of City of Bloomington, I believe. Um, it's basically we're the ones that uh, everyone would know just from you know regulating grass height. Uh, that seems to be <laughs> the number one role of a property maintenance side. But uh, you know, I jumped on to get a lot more deeper than that. Um, when I jumped on this board, uh, the original creation of it was a. Uh, a desire to repair relationships between tenants and landlords. Um, when I got on the board, every single member was a landlord, except for me. Um, so I really wanted to change that. I kind of wanted to uh, approach it from, you know, the more of the tenant side, because I have, um, up until recently, of owning my own home, been a tenant in Bloomington. Uh, and I've lived in homes that were not very safe. Um, and, and that, you know, they were cheap, but not safe. And so I wanted to kind of bring that perspective plus my construction background. And so some of the things I've done on that was um, accelerate the pace at which we adopted a new code for carbon monoxide detectors. We were going to give uh, everybody a year-long leeway uh, to adopt to the new city code, which was actually 12 years late from the state code. So it was already a state code for 12 years, and then the city forgot to adopt it. We were going to give everyone a year long lead time. And then, you know, I, I actually, that was when I called Scott Black and said, hey, this, this is just not right. We need to implement this now. If people didn't know this was a thing, it could save someone's life. So let's do this. And, and sure enough, he helped out and, and got that across the board real quick. So um, another thing I'm working on with this board is, is getting a tenants and landlords rights webpage. Uh, I'm just tired of watching on Facebook. People comment when uh, we have weather like this and their heater goes out. People ask for a GoFundMe page and they're renters um, or they ask, you know, how do I complain about something that's happening? And currently, if you have an issue with your landlord and they're not being responsive, there's nothing on the website of the city to do anything about it. So everyone goes to Facebook and, you know, you'll occasionally see council members, Donna Bolin, I will say, is pretty good at that, um, responding and saying, hey, this is what you can do. Here's who you contact. I think there just needs to be a very clear, transparent information and also to protect, you know, landlords also have rights and it's a tenant and landlord rights. And so there's a lot of things tenants might assume that aren't actually true. So yeah, that's where I'm at now. Well, it, it sounds like you've been involved obviously a little bit here uh, in the past, uh, looking, looking forward, uh, let's say you're elected and we gave you the power as we can do on the podcast of uh, setting the agenda day one, you, you, you know, the world or the agenda, according to Kelby, What's the first issue that you would put at the top of the agenda, jump in um, and, and do if, if you have that power? Um, I, I do have some 100-day plans, but uh, certainly the first thing that comes to mind for me is ending or working to end homelessness in Bloomington. I think it's possible. Uh, the city of Rockford has done it in Illinois. Um, and, you know, obviously it's not going to happen on day one, but putting motions in effect that will start working towards that. Uh, I think the, the immediate things that we can work on is reestablishing funding and programs for the rapid rehousing. Uh, the PATH used to have that and their funding was taken away and they no longer do. I think we need to restore that. 
also, I think uh, one of the immediate needs is, is overnight warming shelters. Uh, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but you know, this weekend we have uh, a bunch of information thrown out by the county and the city and all the departments, nonprofits working together about warming shelter locations. The only one that I see that's actually 24 hours um, that doesn't have outbreaks of COVID currently or issues with COVID that prevent you from staying at the actual shelters is the TA truck stop on the west side. And the TA truck stop is not a suitable solution for extreme weather conditions. And we as a city and not just Bloomington's responsibility, normal and the county too, need to come together and finally do something about this. Very good. So let's talk Ward 7 specifically here for a little bit. What are some of the things that, uh, well, Molly is currently, Molly Ward, who is currently sitting in there as she uh, was appointed after Scott Black stepped down, but through Molly's short time there and then Scott prior to, to her, what have you seen in Ward 7 that you're proud of that you think you can help build on? Uh, what's kind of Ward Seven story to the rest of the city right now? Sure. Um, I think, Ward 7 has a lot of historic properties that I would like to save as much as possible. With those properties, um, which a lot of rentals, I think a majority of the people who live on the west side are uh, living in rentals, uh, those properties tend to be ones that um, are either uh, historic and have not been updated with uh, modern amenities that you would see on the east side or new construction homes. And by that, I mean um, having adequate furnace, um, adequate air conditioning, uh, having even just low flow water systems, all of those uh, things that would make houses affordable if you're paying utilities. Uh, Because what I've said uh, before is that if I'm renting a house and it's $500 a month for rent, that's great. But if my heating bill is $300, $400 a month during the winter, because I'm using a really old furnace, then it's not an affordable housing. Um, And so I do think that there's incentive programs that can be put in place that um, not only reduce rent, uh, that would help small landlords, and it would uh, preserve the historic home because you frankly have safer uh, mechanical equipment in there and then the buildings would be safer. So Increasing safe and affordable housing is is definitely one thing I want to see on the west side. Uh, Specific to the area is, you know, the obvious one is O'Neill Pool changes. Uh, O'Neill Pool, I went to both of those uh, public meetings, and I'm really glad they did that. Um, And so I'm so excited for O'Neill Pool to change because I used to go there when I was younger, jump off the high dive. It was the only one in the area that still had a high dive. So that was really cool. Um, And so I saw what the uh, presentation was. And and there's a lot of stuff in there that made me really happy. couple concerns that I've heard from people is that it is going to be a lot of new features that the old pool didn't have. And they have concerns, is that going to raise the price of getting into the pool? And if it's a lower income neighborhood that goes there, is that going to make it inaccessible to people who actually live in Ward 7? And so one of the changes that I proposed at this meeting, and which I would be trying to uh, propose if I was elected, is creating the uh, water uh, the, the splash pad feature. Um, what I understand is that will be open uh, to the public when the pool is closed for free, similar to Miller Park. But when the pool is open, that will be closed to the public. And so one of the things I would like to do is explore the feasibility of keeping that open to the public during the pool hours. And that's just a free amenity for uh, kids of all ages that can just show up without money in their pocket and be able to enjoy it. Um, The only other thing I would say is ending the food desert. And there's some really amazing people working on that on the west side right now. And so I I think that's, you know, real close to being able to just get and taken over the finish line. Let's let's try to tackle each one of those individually since since they came up. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's start with O'Neill Pool. I like what you uh, I like the summary that you gave there of what's kind of been going on and some of your thoughts on on things that needed to improve. Where do you see that pool um, is it more pool and park, right? Cause we're, we're doing some stuff with the park too. Um, where do you see that fit in with economic development on the West side? Is it, should it be considered part of that economic development where we're going to generate some outside revenue or should it be looked at as more uh, a benefit to the community that, that's there? Uh, yeah, I think it does have distinguishing features that are different than all other pools we have in the area. So I do think that uh, if people are looking for a lazy river, this is their option. Um, if people want really large, crazy water slides, they go to normal. Uh, so I do think that there's going to be an economic incentive just for that. 
Um, and, and also it, it looked like from what I was seeing that there's a lot more amenities for younger children. Um, and so that is, is another huge benefit that if, if you've got younger children, you're going to go there. Um, so I do feel like you would be pulling a lot of people over to the West side in that regard. Um, another aspect that was in the pool as part of the amenities and also part of something that I've been running on is getting a dog park. And I was really excited to see that that was the location, which by the way, two months before that, I did talk to Tim Gleason. Um, and I told him that's the spot I would put it in. I'm not saying I did it, but I'm really happy it went there. Uh, and, and that's something that, you know, half, half the country owns or has a dog and including myself. And so the only dog parks we have are in normal and you have to drive in a car to get to them. Uh, if we had a park at O'Neill, that would be another source where people are coming to the park from, from other places of town. And maybe they're there to, to get, you know, to have their dog run around in the park, but also they're going there to get uh, food from the concession stands or maybe watch a game. Yeah. And, and that was good. Go ahead, Jeremy. I was just saying that was going to be one of my hard hitting follow-ups was, uh, do you have a dog? Uh, what kind, what's the name? I mean, users want, or <laughs> listeners want to know this stuff. So absolutely. I have a wonderful dog. Um, his name is Frank and, uh, he's a blue healer and we got him as a rescue and he's actually named after Franklin park where my wife and I first at our first date. So Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So let's talk, let's, let's switch gears and talk about the other thing that you had brought up, which is the food desert. Um, on a, on a different podcast, I had mentioned that this, this specific issue, I feel like has come up in the, at least the last two election cycles. Uh, and we're still talking about it. Um, yep. and, and it's one of those words that that's, you know, it's, it's kind of an attractive word where it gets, gets people's attention. Um, and I hear candidates all the time saying we have to do something about it. I've heard, you know, council people say we have to do something about it, but here we are still, you know, what's, what's happening. What, what is the city and what can the city do to help, to help with that food desert? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, well, my history with the food desert on the West side goes back uh, 10, 12 years ago. Um, I, I was part of a nonprofit there and uh, we had a bunch of community members that were a part of it. And what we did is we started a gleaning program with the farmer's market. Um, so it, very similar to what the veggie oasis is now. Uh, we started, um, I, I knew a few farmer friends. Uh, it was a uh, Dylan with Cook Farms and uh, Katie with Prairie Earth. And uh, we, we went over to the farmer's market and said, hey, um, we would like to give whatever stuff that, um, that I was told by the farmers that, hey, we typically throw this stuff into, uh, turn it into mulch at the end of the farmer's market whenever we don't sell. And I said, well, what if we just were to get this into people's bellies? So, so uh, me and uh, about like 10 different volunteers, um, every, for a couple summers, we would go to the farmer's market uh, I had some beat, beaten down station wagon that I would fill completely full uh, one day with corn. Um, and then we would literally drive to Holton Homes and Sunnyside and then hand out all these veggies. And what was nice about that is a lot of the farmer's market veggies are, are stuff like, I mean, I'll even admit during that time, I had never had an eggplant in my life before. And so when I'm handing somebody an eggplant, who also has never had it. And I can be honest and go, I don't know what to do with it, but here's some recipes the farmers gave us. Uh, just try it out. And then you can try to get exposure to new foods without having that economic risk of, of going to the store and having to pay money and buy it and, and try it that way. Uh, so yeah, I've had a long history with that. I also um, did the similar approach with grocery stores for a long time. I was taking food from schnooks um, that was out of date or say one apple came out of a bag um, that was bad. The rest of the apples are good. And I was delivering that to the, uh, the mission. And then, uh, not only would I deliver it to it, but then I, I spent a while actually helping prep in the kitchen there to, to distribute that food that I had brought. Um, so yeah, working on uh, food desert, ending it is very important to me. And, uh, I think that the city is, is in a position finally to look at this property that's sitting there and is ready to go. And you've got people lined up who have been working on this and, and dedicating so much time and we can actually help support that. And whether that's buying the land or whether that's uh, helping fund some of the programs or helping, uh, more importantly, helping writing grants from the community development side of things, we need to be doing it. Give our listeners some feedback on the, on the land that you're talking about. What, what property are you talking about there? Oh, the old uh, uh, Pops grocery store, that, that property right there. Okay. So we're on uh, market street, kind of near Morris Avenue. I'm, I'm trying to think of a closer cross street, but I'm, I'm blanking right now. Um, and there's been a, a group working 
that I've seen, you know, on Facebook, tell us where they're at in the process. What is there anything holding them up? And, and to your point, go back to where the city's involvement would come in at. And, and have you been involved in that? It sounds like you got a lot of background and you've done things personally. Or have you been active in that yourself? I've talked to them about it, um, and I've I've been on the site. Uh, I was trying to help them out during the uh, the, the Christmas. Um, they were doing uh, an event for Christmas, and I was helping out a little bit there. Uh, that didn't pan out, but uh, I know you know with with COVID hitting, things have been pretty rough. Um, uh, but but yeah, I think that they're at a place where uh, they've talked to the city multiple times about it, um, and and I'm excited to you know start on that immediately as soon as things. Uh, if, if I got on the seat, that's exactly where I would start Very good. talking to them saying, what, what would you like to see happen? Like, what, what are you missing? What's the missing link? Kelby, I appreciate the work you've, you've done personally and hearing some of these stories. One of the things you, you said there about the, the carload of, of corn and delivering it kind of highlighted uh, a friend of mine through the JCs had, had brought up an idea a while back and said, um, oftentimes with food deserts, it's not just, you don't have food there, but you don't have mobility issues or, or transportation. And, and, you know, it, it might be five blocks down, but it might be, you know, uh, a busy intersection, market street, something like that, that, that divides it and makes it uh, a little less accessible. So, um, have, have you heard any ideas? The one she specifically was throwing out, I guess there's a group down in South Carolina that rents a bus or has an old school bus. And they basically take the, the, uh, farmer's market to the corn, you know, it's almost like ice cream, uh, the ice cream man for, for broccoli and vegetables, you know? So, um, but, but they, they bring that stuff to their have, 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 I mean, any sort of creative ideas like that, or, or is, is that something new or I know I'm just throwing that something at you here left field, but I, I love, love hearing these stories of, of what you're doing and some unique ideas out there. What, what's your take on all that? Yeah, no, I love, um, uh, I think a great example would be I mean, I think the book bike is, is really awesome, uh, uh, thing that's been going on for years in this town and, and on the West side. But if we had like a veggie bike, I think that would be the coolest thing. And, and literally, yeah, riding from the far- farmer's market onto a veggie bike into, uh, different neighborhoods. I think that would be a, a super cool thing. And, and, uh, originally when green top actually first came to town, uh, my wife and I were, and were part of the, uh, there was like a food justice board that we, that was created in the beginning. Um, and, you know, that kind of had a falling out because I think a lot of us on that side of the board were arguing, we need to locate this place in, in West Bloomington. Don't put it on the east side. Um, I mean, that's it's been, you know, water on the bridge now. It's a little late. There's already bricks in place. So, uh, but yeah, that was that was the idea. Um, and then another part of that idea is always creating some sort of a satellite hub. Uh, and I do think that even this idea um, on, on Market and Howard, that can be, you know, another food uh, satellite hub. So, yeah. Very good. All right. Well, believe it or not, we are almost halfway through this podcast already. Um, So at the halfway point, if you listen to any of the election edition last cycle, you'll know that we like to do these rapid fire questions where we just throw a word out at you and you say the quickest thing that comes to your mind. Uh, Jeremy's got that list queued up and ready to go. So he's going to fire some things at you. Yeah. And we're looking, we're again, like five words or less, just just super quick in and out here. So uh, first topic is downtown Bloomington. Big changes coming. Okay. Connect Transit. What's the name? Uh, C2 East. Okay. Preferred. Uh, Preferred. Yeah. I'm struggling to do the five-word thing. Yeah, yeah, yes. well, it's a challenge, <laughs> but, but you're, you're on it. You're on it. Uh, you mentioned, uh, we talked about this a little bit, but O'Neill Pool. Big changes coming. Um, Bloomington Public Library. Support expansion. The uh, Constitution Trail. Ooh, I really want to go more than five words on this one, but uh, uh, we need a northwest connection. I think we'll allow that, Justin, right? Yeah, yeah. That's five. Yeah, we'll go there. Um, and Ooh. then economic development is the last one. Uh, focus on small business. Yeah, that's, that's good enough. Got it. That's four. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Word to spare. Nice job. And, I, and I, I bet we come back and explore a couple of those uh, here a little bit later in the podcast. Um, but to move on to something a little bit uh, the, the, a little bit larger that affects all of us, we're going to move the conversation towards COVID and this pandemic. Um, everybody's been affected by it. Um, what are your thoughts on how the city has handled the pandemic thus far? 
and what are some ways that we can help um, its residents and business owners as we start to recover and move forward uh, past this pandemic? Yeah, uh, so in the beginning, I was very disappointed with how the city, not just the city, but the town of Normal and and the county were handling things. Um, I think it's similar to what happened nationally. I think there's a lot of people who weren't sure how long things were going to last and they had expectations that, oh, in about a month, things will get better. Uh, my wife and I started the McLean County Mutual Aid Project and we, we helped connect um, people who are immunocompromised and, and senior citizens and people who just frankly didn't feel comfortable going out, period. Um, connect them with people who were willing to uh, go to grocery stores and shop for them and, and set up a completely zero contact system. And, and actually Tyson uh, was, was one of our runners a couple of times. So that was really cool. Him. Uh, but yeah, so this was a thing that we started in March when we knew the pandemic was coming. I believe we started before the shutdown actually occurred. And it was something where, you know, there was a thousand questions of how do we do this? And instead of, uh, you know, spending three or four months figuring out how to do the perfect system, we just jumped in and did it, which is the spirit of mutual aid is just starting and just do the mutual aid. Um, and then, you know, we adjusted as we went. And, and I feel like with the city and again, also the town of Normal in the county, there wasn't a, a jump to, we need to solve this together immediately with everybody. We need to bring everything in the room, all the nonprofits. I do know eventually after a couple months, there was a lot of uh, department heads that would get together and meet um, in a non-public meeting. Um, and so, you know, a lot of uh, complaints I had in the beginning were transparency on that side, but also just it, it created a sense of what is the city doing? What is the county doing? Um, there was very different disparities between the county health department, for instance, compared to Peoria's county health departments, because you could watch, they had daily update videos similar to what Pritzker was doing. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like in the beginning it was tough. There could have been done more done. Um, going on to like kind of in the fall, there was a lot of, uh, I would say early jumps to try to, Hey, let's open up the restaurants again immediately. And we need to push everyone above us. And it seemed like every time a mayor would speak out about that two weeks later, (laughs) there would be a huge rise of cases and everyone would be locked down even further. And so it, it always seemed like, you know, maybe they are not the best at determining these things. And maybe the actual health experts are the ones that should be determining them and speaking to the media on them. Um, that all being said, I do think that um, we did a lot of things right that other communities didn't. Uh, I was very happy that we were the first community, one of the first communities in central Illinois to offer direct aid to people who have been suffering through the pandemic. Uh, that certainly has to be coupled with small business aid. Um, and I think that is something that our community has particularly done pretty well. And um, also the EDC's existence and the chamber's existence to be able to help uh you know, get a lot of businesses in tune with the PPP. Um, and that's something also that, you know, I do feel like could be better. Uh, I've heard from a couple businesses on in Ward 7 that didn't receive communication about, uh, hey, here's the site we can go to and we can show you the list of everything we can do to help you. And so I think there might be this perception that the only businesses that really got the help are businesses that are already connected with the chamber and already connected with the EDC. Uh, so that's something that I'm not sure the city itself could do too much uh, beyond literally having a register, which I know is controversial in the past. Uh, I don't know if you need to pay money to be on a register, but if we had a register, being able to go to every business and contact them and every single one and say, hey, this is what we have. Please utilize, utilize it to your best ability. Yeah, that business register didn't go over well. No. <laughs> Well, they put a dollar amount to it. That's the problem. That's true. Kelby, you mentioned some of the the business components of the COVID uh, situation response. One thing I'm curious about is is what's your take on uh, some of these businesses that opened early, uh, for example, and then are now um, going through the process where there's fines and and using the the liquor commission and and kind of as an enforcement mechanism as opposed to a a health department, like you said. What's your take on that? Where, Where do you fall is... Is that uh, what we should be doing or should we not? Or is there a better approach? What do you think? Yeah, uh, I I think that was an appropriate approach. Um, What I think was missing, though, was incentivizing some of the businesses that were just completely on board with all of the the health guidelines and that – you know, fully felt like fully fell in line with what needed to be done to preserve the safety of our community, despite the risk to their own business. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of business out there that, uh, 
could have been lifted up by the city for doing such. Um, and I feel like instead, all the attention, especially with the media and everybody went to the negative businesses. Um, and also there's, you know, the, I think the problem with the mayor on the liquor commission being on the commission, also having that as the only source of a penalization for this is also convoluted between the businesses in particular and their relationship with the city prior to the pandemic and how that complicated everything that went down with the the media. But again, I think we needed to lift up more the businesses, um, especially our downtown businesses that, you know, followed through. Because, you know, I'm sure they saw that and they would have wanted that money. They would have wanted that money, especially when the students, right before Thanksgiving, that was the big day. And, you know, if you pay a $300 fine to be able to make thousands of dollars that night, you know, every business who, who didn't do that was, you know, should be really lifted up. Curious about um, the other aspect of this that I think people often overlook. You know, it's, you know, it's almost like there's three parts of the trauma, right? There's a health component. There's a business component. There's also a mental health, uh, um, you know, whether it's kids uh, and, and sports and school, um, parents having to work at home and try. I, I don't know how how parents with with young kids, especially, uh, man, that is that is tough. So um, how, how do you think uh, how do you think we've responded as a community? Are there steps you would advocate for that that we need to do more or, or things differently? Or, or what's your thoughts there? Um, I do think there could have been more. Uh, and, and there can be more uh, hopeful guidance on, um, you know, things you can be doing from the safety of your home. Uh, like the BCPA doing concerts was really cool. I was so glad to see that that, like that type of things happen. Um, I think there is more opportunity for that. Uh, and, and really, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure the city can do too much to be able to solve that. Uh, but what I do think we need to be doing now as a city is to give hope to the future, because there are a lot of really interesting things that are, that are, you know, going to happen with the city of Bloomington, regardless of who's in office that are just already in the pipeline and have been in the pipeline for years that will improve our community. And so I want to, you know, keep a positive, uh, positive vibe out there for everything that's going to happen. And, and that's kind of, you know, part of that is why I talk a lot about the indoor electric go-kart track that Riven can sponsor at the mall. And, you know, that's, a, that's a dream of mine, of course. And that is something that gives hope to me because I do think that's a good idea. And I do think that could work. Uh, of course, I want to go on the record, not saying the city should do it as the city, but I hope we get that. I would be, I, I, I would be cool. I would take that. At least something would be going on out there. There would be some cars out there, even if the go-karts. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned a few times, uh, you know, you've said Bloomington, but not just Bloomington, normal in the county. So talk to me about how you think those uh, three entities have gotten along in the past, how well they have worked together, and then what you would bring to that and how you would uh, cooperate with those other uh, governmental entities. Yeah, um, I don't think they've gotten... I think uh, the the staff have gotten along just fine. I don't think there's been any issues there, but I do think there's been political battles between each. Um, I think if you look at the city of Bloomington and Metcom um, situation for the county, that has just, you know, had a bad impact on, on Bloomington and the county. I think if you look at Bloomington and the city or the town of Normal and um, oh, what was the name of that uh, economic uh, zone or it, it had something to do with Rivian area that I can't yep. names escape. No, it was, it was Met, uh, the Metro zone. Metro, metro zone. That's metro. it. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, yeah. The Metro zone agreement that was, uh, I agreed to leaving that personally. Um, but you know, the way that it went down was, was not good. And I feel, feel like that has significantly damaged the relationship. Um, all that being said, you know, that's why I feel like having new faces on the council, which is why I'm part of a coalition that hasn't sat at the government seat before and doesn't have a direct connection to the people that currently sit there. Uh, I feel like that is going to help shape, you know, repair these relationships. Because if you uh, go into the council and uh, it's somebody who's, who's basically having a baton, a baton passed to them from that same relationship, then that same problem is going to exist. And, and I think that'll, that'll end up, you know, continuing. And so, having new faces in, I think is going to make a difference. Uh, and I, and I do think it starts with reaching out and having joint meetings. And sometimes those meetings, uh, might not seem productive enough because there's so many people in the room. Uh, but for the past, I think four years, one of the only meetings I see where all the tables come together is 
the EDC presentation. And, and that was probably the last one I've seen, at least, was when Patrick, the, the new EDC director, came in. Yeah. And so I feel like we need to do more. And COVID, to me, was a chance to do that. And I feel like we missed that. Something that connects uh, Bloomington and Normal and goes through the county that you mentioned you'd like to more time to talk about is that Constitution Trail. Uh, yes. Talk to me about that, how important that is to the city of Bloomington and what improvements can be made. That, that trail is huge. I think that's a massive uh, overlooked and not really brought up, uh, especially on the city of Bloomington. I think Normal does a pretty good job promoting it. I don't think Bloomington does. Um, for, for years and, and, I mean, decades, This the entire city of Bloomington's portion of the Constitution Trail did not have a drinking fountain. And it was ridiculous. And you go to Normal and you've got like bathrooms, you've got an amphitheater, you have drinking fountains all over the place. City of Bloomington had none. And then finally we got one over at the Restore. And so that was cool. Um, I am glad that there has been improvements made um, recently. That bridge is really cool. I'm glad we got the bridge over, uh, uh, was it Oak or uh, Morrissey, is it? Uh, what's the road it's over? Yeah. 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 Uh, and then also we've got um, plans to expand it south down Bun Street to, over to Hamilton. And, and that's going forward. And that's really exciting. Uh, but one thing I've heard about is is connecting the trail all the way to the northwest side, because currently it just cuts exactly west and there's uh, almost nothing in the northwest region and if you've ever tried to walk around white oak park and the sidewalk ends and you're just walking in a ditch for quite a long time that is not safe at all and, and i feel like that's an area where we could improve uh, or even you know talking with rivian and saying hey you guys are into uh, environmental environmentalism in general would you mind helping a sponsor an extension of a trail that gets to Rivian? And then that could be a huge opportunity there. Uh, yeah. Cause also with Rivian, I mean, similar to the go-kart track, I feel like Bloomington doesn't have a strong relationship with them um, comparatively to the town of normal. And I would really, really be interested in opening up that relationship and maybe they can sponsor some of the uh, uh, electric chargers that'll end up in the next market street garage. To be fair, that might be because they got out of the metro zone. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, very good. So uh, we, you know, going along with Constitution Trail, something that's that's dear to me, uh, near and dear to me, is uh, bike lanes, and that's been it was controversial when it first rolled out, and I don't really want to get into the controversy of it um, because uh, we don't have enough time. But yeah. how, how? What do you think about? how we should expand that bicycle master plan. How much of a priority is that? Is it a driver for economic development? It, you know, talk to me about your thoughts on those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to you before and I'm a huge proponent of strong towns, the whole, the whole thing. Um, and so I'm actually part of the whole local, local motive um, classes that they're going to be doing here soon. And so I believe we need to, to go away from car focused, transportation. And, uh, part of that is having efficient bike lanes. And, uh, so, you know, if you can add share roads or if you can add actual bike lanes, um, whenever we're redeveloping streets, I think we need to take that opportunity. And I'm really excited about the whole route nine redo and, and the state getting involved in, in doing that. So, I mean, I think even if we did nothing in the next four years, it's going to be a lot more changes. Yeah, uh, but I, I do think it's a priority and we should be putting pressure on it. And, and again, especially the northwest side, which is Ward 7, not a lot of bike lanes at all. Just to clarify, when you're saying uh, do the bike lanes, you know, and share, share roads and that, um, are you in the camp that says those should be everywhere? Or are you more in the camp that says, no, do them on the local and stay off the Route Nines? Um, what's your thoughts? Well, I don't know if we as a city should jump on the route nines and take that liability. Um, but, but definitely doing them on the locals. I, I don't see why, um, you and know, maybe I should clarify, clarify yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, yeah, no, that's a bad question here. And maybe we, we should edit this out. Who knows? But, um, the, <laughs> the concept of, you know, putting them on more arterial streets, even Washington, Oakland, you know, there's a school of thought that says, no, stay on Grove stay off of Washington, let the cars go through that, let, you know, lower traffic areas be the sheriff. And then there's a school of thought that says, no, where cars can go, bikes should be able to go and, and, and build that way. I'm just curious, which camp do you fall into? Uh, I fall in the, the camp of putting them on Washington. I think we need to do that. Um, I think we need to do it in a safe and effective manner. And I think we could also beautify the city as we're doing it, um, which is part of the strong towns approach is putting uh, trees basically, or, or, plantings to separate bicyclists instead of just a big giant curb 
uh, I think that, you know, would make the, the area look better. And then also it would keep people safe just the same. And it encourages people to slow down more than just a little cr- concrete curb. Um, yeah. I'm not running for city. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm not running for city council, but this is somewhere where I can get on a soapbox. So I'm going to, um, <laughs> what I, what I think <laughs> the power of the host, <laughs> that's right. The, what bugs me uh, often about, um, and I'm, I'm going to say city of Bloomington, but honestly, it's government in, in general, uh, especially on a local level, is we like to um, go go accomplish things halfway, right? So, and it really pleases nobody. Um, and Washington Street bike lanes is a great example of that, right? Um, I ride my bike all the time. I ride it on Washington pretty regularly. And, you know, going down, going east on there, there's a bike lane. Um, now we can get in the argument of it doesn't matter because people put leaves and sticks there anyway, but there is a bike lane on the, on the other side. Um, when I'm, when I'm heading West, so on the North side of Washington, they, they sold that as a shared bike lane, parking lane. Um, but you know, that was, that was a nice way to put that. We're not putting a bike lane on that side, in my opinion. And so they, yeah. they compromised that. And, and now it, Honestly, I don't know how much more safe Washington Street is today to ride a bike on than it was prior to the bike lanes. Now, I think it did help slow traffic because it did narrow the road. So it's safer in in that aspect. Um, But when I'm riding my bike, I have to swerve in and out of leave piles and park cars. And and so I'm talking about bike lanes, but I think I've seen this pattern in other areas, too, when we start talking about being more progressive and improvements um, that we kind of like to do things halfway. Um, yep. so I'm not, I don't even have a question here, Kelby. I'm just saying yeah, that, no, I, <laughs> that, that this is a pet peeve of mine and I'm sharing it with someone that has a potential to be on council in a few months. So, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, and honestly, I mean, we're talking about Washington, but my, the area I want to hit with a bike lane is Lincoln street. I think Lincoln street, when we made that wider, it was ridiculous. And that causes cars to speed. And if you put a bike lane there, especially with foliage to, to separate, that's going to slow people down. And I think that's the one, com- one like reason why a lot of people are pushing for the expansion of Hamilton road, which I would love to do a two hour debate with Donna Bolin on Hamilton road. Cause I think that is the epitome of the strong towns movement. And I have very strong opinions on that extension there. Uh, but that's, that's way too long for this program. <laughs> All right. So we, we have about five, six, seven minutes left, roughly. Um, I want to make sure I cover a few things that are very, we don't have a lot of time to expand on them, but I want to make sure yeah. I at least get your opinion on them. And then I'll kick it over to Jeremy to ask any final questions here. But um, downtown Bloomington, um, close to Ward 7, um, what are some things that we can do in the immediately, meaning in the next four years, uh, to help improve that, make it more of an economic engine for the city? Connect transfer station, absolutely a must. Zero reason against that. Um, I would like to get the warming shelter in there. I think that's a perfect solution. Um, the the uh, parking lot in uh, in Washington or the uh, the Washington Street Market Street parking garage. Sorry, uh, maybe get at that pace out. Market Street parking garage. Um, that's something that needs to be improved. It needs to be, in my opinion, demoed and replaced. Um, and, and that could be some sort of an economic driver right there if, uh, depending on how we do that, but I'm not in favor of, you know, putting up a, a bunch of uh, a Starbucks and, uh, <laughs> that type of thing underneath cutting into actual local businesses. I think that's going to be a, a difficult plan. Um, but also we cannot sustain this garage that we got. Um, and then, and then finally, I think that, you know, there's the library expansion that coupled with the, uh, connect transfer station. I think that also leads into the museum, uh, which, uh, you know, full transparency my wife works there has been there for 11 years. Uh, but that's an area, the, the whole, uh, downtown square right there, we could be doing nightly concerts or sorry, uh, weekend concerts, just the same as what like Champaign Urbana does to draw in the crowd for downtown. Um, and I think one of the ways to do that is to shut down Jefferson street, that one block there. Um, and, and my personal idea for that is to put in a water feature during the summer for kids. It doesn't have to be as complex as the, uh, the uptown circle, uh, but just a water feature for the kids in the summer and then convert that to an ice rink, uh, in the winter because ice is king here and everybody spends a lot of money at that, uh, Pepsi Coliseum. And I think, uh, the, uh, the arena would be doing a lot worse. If we didn't have that ice center. So. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I don't, I don't think our listeners are, are, you know, I don't think it's going to surprise them how big of a, uh, 
fan I am of downtown and how long I've been talking about doing some simple things downtown and that one block north, uh, the north block of the square on Jefferson. I've been I'm a, I'm in favor of closing that down. So you have a you have a fan of that there with me. Uh, moving on, Connect Transit. You mentioned them, the Transfer Center. They just released those three uh, spaces um, that are potential sites for that transfer center. Do you have uh, any pros, cons, favoring one over the other as of right now? Anything you want to throw out there about that? Yeah, I think uh, if the Market Street Garage was possible to to do a combination of that and the transfer station, I think that's that's worthy looking at. I think the location there really bothers me in the terms of how that curve around Jimmy John's is always dangerous and buses would be slowing down and possibly backed up and there's, there's a risk there. But I'm not an engineer, so maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I'd love to hear the, the explanation for that. Uh, C2 East is definitely my favorite because the Panagraph version, while I love the idea of saving that building and turning that into a, a transfer station, I think the property directly north of that um, is a problem and that would be very expensive. And I'm not sure what we could do with that historic building. I would not be in the favor of tearing that historic building down. Uh, C2 East is an absolute eyesore and an architectural um, uh, nightmare from what I've heard in terms of trying to convert that to anything useful. Uh, I'm generally not in favor of tearing down old buildings because it does cost more to just build a new one. Uh, but that option, I think, is the best. And, and again, I will make like make a priority if this isn't decided and done before I'm on council uh, to get a warming shelter at the transfer station within that little uh block that they've got set up for that. Yeah. I, I, I like all three of the sites. Uh, and I mean, I've been vocal about market street parking garage in the past. Um, and the only reason I'm still favoring that personally is because it's inside the buckle. And I think trying to get the, uh, the bus riders to cross 51 and work with the state to make that safe is going to be a nightmare also. So that's my only concern there, but I agree. I honestly, we just need a transfer center. So, <laughs> um, well, yeah. all right. Uh, let me th- see if I need to hit on anything else before I kick it over to Jeremy. Uh, you mentioned library. Uh, what are your thoughts on the library um, expansion moving forward? That's something that uh, when the transfer center was first brought on when I was on the downtown task force um, was an issue back then in 2017. And we haven't seen much movement here uh, now going on four years later. So wh- where are we at with that? And what do you think we can add to it? Yeah, I've seen the plans. I love the plans. I think libraries of the future are going to be different than libraries of the past. And I feel like the expansion that is presented definitely takes that into consideration. Uh, my wife went to U of I to got her master's degree in library and information science. So, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about what the future of libraries means to a community um, beyond just checking out a book. Uh, and so, you know, if we're talking about giving people opportunities to use the computers, uh, to have meetings, all those types of community benefits, I think it is worth doing this expansion, which, again, is another benefit why I like the transfer station by C2 East, because it's right next to the library. It will encourage people to go right there. Um, yeah. Very fair. Jeremy, do you have any other uh, final questions? Yeah. Well, yeah, I wish we had more time because I'd, I'd love to dig into that. How how do we pay for all this? Because I mean, all all this sounds very good, right? But then there's there that's what critics are saying. That's and and there's a budget reality here of of mm-hmm. how how you pay for for all these things. That we'd love to hear more if we but we might need another hour for that one. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I don't know if you have anything quick on that. Yeah, yeah. For In terms of how to pay for things, uh, look, I think we are doing pretty good as a city financially. Uh, even despite COVID, uh, we have a built-up rainy day reserve, and uh, we did not dip into that in a significant way at all. Uh, our bonding capacity is pretty good. Our bond rating is decent. And, you know, I really kind of, Scott Black had said this before on the board, is saying that, you know, I don't see the value of inherently trying to raise that bonding rating if uh, that means cutting a bunch of services, if that means not expanding what we're doing currently um, that that benefits more people. Um, So in terms of paying for it, yeah, not a fan of regressive taxes, uh, not a fan of raising the property taxes. However, the library, I would would support a, a small raise, which is, I think, $20 per house is what I think the last estimate was to get that across the board. Um, I would be in favor of that for the library expansion. Everything else, I think we can do bonds and we can do uh, uh, long-term planning for our, for our investment. Um, there's also a large amount of uh, dollars we're going to be getting from uh, the cannabis shop that just opened up in Bloomington. Uh, I've not heard exactly where how those dollars are being allocated. I think it's just going to the general fund at this point um, because there was an actual decision back when that was a huge controversial topic. Uh, 
And then uh, finally, I think also uh, there's budgets nationally. Uh, there's a movement to uh, for the police. And uh, that I feel like we can um, take money from, uh, you know, future budget increases of the police. We actually take that money and put it into uh, getting mental health workers or mental health uh, experts, social workers responding to calls of uh, wellness checks and any type of a uh, uh, mental health crisis. And, and slowly, I think that could reduce our liabilities and, and costs. Very good. All right. So before we wrap up, Kelby, I want to make sure that you give the opportunity to tell people where they can find more information about you. Do you have a website, Facebook that you can plug right now? Make sure people know where to follow up with you at. Yeah, uh, Kelby for Ward 7. Uh, that's K-E-L-B-Y uh, for Ward 7. And that's on Facebook. Uh, I've got a Twitter, Instagram. Um, and then also I am part of the People's First Coalition. Um, so there's other candidates running that I am uh, well connected to. And that is uh, Jackie Gunderson for mayor, uh, Willie Holton Halbert for Ward 3, and uh, Patrick Lawler for Ward 5. And, and so if you look up that People's First Coalition, I'm on there too. And I think we have most of them coming on to the podcast at some point in time. So that's good. good. Um, and before we go, I got to, I got to thank our sponsor because without the sponsor, we wouldn't be able to give up our weekends to talk to all these candidates. Uh, so Kelby, have you been to little beaver brewery? I have not. I've definitely drank some of their uh, booze, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, I, I told that I said this last time uh, on the podcast, but if you even haven't been there for the last year or so, it's worth checking out again because they took advantage of their downtime over COVID to do a massive expansion. I promise they have one of the nicest patios in all of McLean County. They have uh, the, I don't know if everybody knows this, but Bellis Landscaping, uh, the brothers who own that are partners at Little Beaver. And um, it's a what a great showcase for their uh, landscaping work, too, because it's a beautiful patio. They recently uh, added a kitchen and some of the food I have seen, pizza, burgers, salads. They have a kid's menu. This place is family friendly um, and 24 beers on tap, craft beer, all kinds of flavors. They got some unique ones. Um, so check them out. They're open 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. every single day. Uh, so be sure to check them out. Ch check their Facebook page out. That's where they're going to have the updates uh, for Little Beaver Brewery. So thanks so much for them. Jeremy, anything else? Yeah. I was just going to say, Kelby, you said you've had a few. What's what's your favorite one of theirs? Uh, well, I got them in just restaurants. I don't, I don't remember. Oh, okay. I haven't <laughs> not been to a restaurant in quite a while. So yeah, it's, it's been, been a while. while. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. I, I know they're it's not on a regular, but I know they're the the one with peach rings and it seems to be like a lot of people's favorites. So uh, but they have they put some fruit in there, candy and like they have some unique flavors. So it's definitely if you're into the craft brew, um, that's a place to check out. And if you're not, the food looks amazing. So still check them out. So, Kelby, thank you so much for joining us. I know this is a weekend and uh, you probably have plenty to do on the campaign. So I appreciate you stopping by and talk to us. Yep. All right. Thank thanks, you guys. Much. Yeah, okay, have a good one.